Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining us as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love of the Lord and each other. I'm Megan Silas. And I am Pam Marvin. And today we've got queued up a very special, I say that every time though, don't I, Megan? <laughs> you always but, think well, it's I special. Do. Well, it's either you know, special. I'm excited. You're, you're like, I'm it's excited either about special or excited. difficult. Oh. <laughs> you're, 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 no, no, I'm excited too. Sometimes okay. I'm excited about them. You're excited and it's difficult? <laughs> no, no, no. Usually not. It's either difficult or exciting. Right. But um, I just want to let our listeners know that one of the ways that we prep for the show is we really do take it to prayer and uh, we kind of ask ourselves and each other, so what's really, what's a theme that the Lord has put on your heart or has really come up um, since the last time we saw mm-hmm. each other, since the last time we visited? And you came in on holy fire about <laughs> char- charismatic um, kind of renewal. Um, how does it go with the Catholic faith? And, you know, both of us as converts and you coming from a different kind of background, I'm really excited about this episode <laughs> because um, I haven't really explored it greatly. I mean, I know and I've looked up with the charismatic renewal of the charismatic movement was Mm -hmm. in the Catholic church and it's ebbed and flowed and waned and resurfaced and stuff like that. Um, But you come from this background where you had a little more exposure to it in the Protestant world. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about how to be um, both have a charismatic um, aspect to my Catholic faith, which is compatible. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I would say not only compatible, but essential. But I do think that, you know, kind of now having been a Catholic for uh, 11 years, I am, no, no, not 11 years. I'm sorry. Nine and a half years. I am, you know, starting to get a little, you know, a clearer sense of the landscape and, and, you know, all the the different ways that it it gets lived out. And uh, I... And just really feel on my heart that this is an area that there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of stereotypes and and all this sort of thing that I really just feel compelled to, to be speaking more to and living more out of this idea that charismatic gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit are as Catholic as the Pope or more, you know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> okay, they're okay. just so much part and parcel to what it is to be Christian. Right. And, and it is through the power of the Holy spirit that we live out our, our faith in, in power uh, and in, in an effective witness. And so, well, let's, let's break it down, Megan, about what is it exactly? Cause I think there's a lot of misconceptions and it's not super clear to say, what is it to be a charismatic Catholic? What is it? Right. What is charismatic? Let's break yeah. that down a little bit more. Well, I think it might be helpful for our listeners to just kind of understand a little bit about where I'm coming from, from my background. So I'll, I'll, I'll just share that just kind of for a reference point. Um, so I grew up, an evangelical Christian uh, in a very charismatic church. It was a non-denominational church, very much focused on, you know, the Bible and it being the inerrant word of God and seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a very active and intentional way and trying to live out uh, Christianity through those uh, spiritual gifts. And so growing up in the church that uh, my family attended, 
it was very, very common to have, you know, significant periods of communal prayer where, you know, you would just be, you know, maybe it was often combined with praise and worship music where we would have long periods of time of great, like energetic praise music, worship music, and then, you know, kind of the instruments would go down and maybe be a little quiet. And then there'd just be this time of prayer where anybody in the congregation at any point could just speak a word of prayer, uh, whatever the Holy spirit put on their heart the, you know, people would be at times be, um, speaking in tongues. Mm. So there was this real sense of the power of the baptism of the Holy spirit that was being manifested in, in things like speaking in tongues and also prophecy. You know, sometimes people would prophesy over another person. And so there was this real dynamic sense of attentiveness and openness to the movements of the Holy spirit. Now, let me, let, me, let me jump in with the definition. Okay. Okay. The definition of what we're talking about today is relating to the charismatic movement in the Christian church or a power or talent divinely conferred. Yeah, that would be like a charism is a, is a, pow, a, a power or talent divinely conferred. But I think what I want to really, you know, kind of get away from is defining it or putting it in the box of a particular movement or a particular, you know, that that's a Protestant thing or whatever, because, you know, I grew up in it as being very much, you know, the style of the church that I went to. Right. But honestly, when I was in it as a child, I wasn't particularly comfortable with it. Like I felt particularly with the issue of speaking in tongues that sometimes there was this sense of pressure. Like if you couldn't, if you didn't receive the gift of tongues, that somehow you weren't a good Christian or you weren't really Mm. being, you know, docile to the spirit and, and all this sort of stuff. So I actually developed a very negative sort of, um, feeling interiorly about it. Not so much that I thought that the gifts of the spirit weren't real or they're bad, but that, um, because I hadn't received the gift of tongues when I was uh, a youth in, in that church environment that I was inferior as a Christian. Well, you know, when, when I first heard about it coming into the church, I thought that speaking in tongues was charismatic. That was like the definition yeah, and I think so often they get conflated. But that's not, and also, that's that's not, not the it. whole truth. Right. No, no, not at all. It's that is one manifestation of a of a charismatic gift, but it's actually, if you really look at it biblically, one of the lesser ones. Um, and there's so many others. But I think unfortunately, because that one is so uh, heavily emphasized in some groups that are very focused on charismatic worship, and it, it looks very off-putting and uncomfortable to people who haven't, you know, experienced that kind of a, um, manifestation of the spirit that is kind of seems weird or hard to understand right. or whatever. People are very turned off to the whole idea. Uh, of Mm. worshiping in a way that's open to the spirit. Well, then I'll go to what my personal definition, and you correct me if I'm wrong or add to uh, or take Mm -hmm. away from. Now, after all this time, um, kind of being charismatic to me is a part of praise and worship music specifically is when we have this praise and worship music together as a community, 
um, with raised hands and calling on the Holy Spirit to come, that the Holy Spirit shows up and just really, I don't know, kind of ignites and puts on fire in our hearts um, through this, I don't know, this community of worship together with praise mm-hmm. and worship music. I mean, that's probably just one aspect that that's how I personally feel like I've experienced the charismatic movement. Okay. And I think, you know, yeah, again, that's, that's probably a very common way of expressing that style of engaging the Holy Spirit, like trying to engage the Holy Spirit through music, through communal praise and worship. Yes, that's absolutely a style or a way of trying to enter into that place. But it isn't a must have. Like the idea that in order to try to open oneself up to the Holy Spirit and his inspiration uh, and to the gifts that he wants to give has to happen in a setting that looks like that raised hands, you know, guitar, music, communal worship. That's a, that's a fallacy. It doesn't have to happen in that setting. It doesn't have to look like okay, that. Okay. Then give me another example. Okay. Here I think is a, a really beautiful example of how it can happen. And then it doesn't have to be as maybe challenging as that such a situation that you describe would be for somebody who's not used to that sort yeah. of thing. Say you have three or four really close friends who maybe like you're in a Bible study together. I like that theme, the friendship. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you, you know, you're all like, on the same page in the sense of you're really seeking the Lord in your life. You're seeking to do his will. You really want to um, know what God has in store for you, like what he wants to do in you and through you to build up his church. Just walking shoulder to shoulder. Right. You want to do that. Mm-hmm. And you want to bring the, the Holy Spirit into that together. So what you can do that is just as charismatic, honestly, as sitting in a group of a hundred people with praise and worship music and raised hands and, and speaking out loud and stuff. Your little four, group of four people can sit and say, let's really enter into prayer together. Let us invite the Holy Spirit into this moment and open ourselves up to whatever he wants to give us right now. Let's call upon him. Let's invite him with sincerity and deep desire Mm. that he would come and manifest himself in this moment of prayer together and then give space for that to happen. As in like maybe a moment of silence. Yeah, Quiet. You know, like I think we were talking about, um, prior to the show, how often when we get into a situation, particularly in Catholic circles, it was like, okay, well, someone would someone like to, you know, lead us in prayer to start. Right. And then somebody will just say a little prayer and then you'll move on. You'll just, they end the prayer, they end their prayer. And then you just go on to whatever you were going to do for your meeting. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're going to lead in prayer, leading implies what? Following, following, which means others would follow in. And so, but that can't happen if you don't leave the space 
for it to happen. Okay, so let me make sure I'm getting you correct on this because I really love this theme so much. Mm -hmm. So you're in the situation in the group and someone opens up in prayer, leads in prayer. So to follow in prayer would then be a second person to come in and start to ask the Holy Spirit to be with them and their family or loved ones to continue a spontaneous prayer. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. What, and what I would say is, is that there's no, there should never be a pressure that says, okay, every, you know, I'm going to start and everybody else has to add their prayer and whatever. Okay. No, what it is is to say, okay, we're starting off a time in prayer that we will engage in together but the whole, it's not, doesn't mean that somebody's going to be talking the whole time. To be okay with the silence, to be united in prayer in silence together, seeking the Holy Spirit in our hearts together and being open to movements of the Holy Spirit if he puts it on your heart. Mm-hmm. So there's no pressure that anyone has to say anything or do anything but you're sitting there with an expectant waiting. Like think of the think of the apostles and Mary in the upper room before Pentecost. They mm-hmm. didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't they didn't have some knowledge of this right. is what it's going to look like, whatever. But the Lord said, "Go and wait and my spirit will descend upon you." Mm-hmm. So if you're not in a place of expectant waiting, it's very hard for us to receive the spirit coming upon us. Right. You know, there's one word that really pops out as you're saying all this, that calling on the spirit is an act, a unitive act between the people there to pray. So it is almost like we are we are rendering ourselves in the spirit to the Lord together. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I've actually imagined this and in, in my prayer group specifically is all of a sudden we're both like casting up that that prayer thread. And it's like one, two, three, four. So it's making like this huge rope as opposed to just a thread. Right. right? Absolutely. Straight to heaven. And so, so that's also kind of what you're talking about as part of charismatic Catholic. Yeah. And I think one of the things that for me really defines the heart of somebody who is charismatic in their approach to prayer and their, their life uh, in the spirit is this beautiful combination of expectation that you're calling upon the Lord and you have an expectation of his response that he will respond, but a suspension of a definitive idea about what that's going to look like. So there's an expectation, but also a surrender to preconceived notions about how that looks, feels, is. It's an openness to the idea that the spirit moves as the spirit wills. Right. So what you're coaching us to in this podcast really is that it can look different at different times. It doesn't fit into any one little pigeonhole. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, for example... Say, and this, and you can do this in your own personal prayer life. It doesn't have to be communal, but I do find that the communal aspect is super powerful. Well, two or more. Exactly. (laughs) What was he talking about? He was serious about the power of communal prayer and that he, it's almost like he is 
helpless to not engage when two hearts join to draw him in. It's like it is so enticing to him. It's like he can't even help himself. I'm like, oh, they're coming to me together. I got to go. I got to go. Because right. I will abide with you. Mm. Oh, how much do we long for the Lord to come and abide in us? Right. And so it's that invitation, but not putting demands on it that says, okay, Lord, I'm inviting you in and it's got to look exactly like this and you got to do it just how we wanted you to do it and whatever. No, it's just this openness, expectant waiting that, and we're just going to see what happens. And it might happen like, so say you end up going into prayer with an openness, waiting for the Holy Spirit, and you end up having 15, 20 minutes of nobody saying anything because no, the Holy Spirit hasn't put it on her heart to speak out loud. But there's movements happening in your heart. That's that's no less charismatic than if in some other setting, the Holy Spirit starts moving and people start proclaiming Christ's goodness and, and go into a spirit of gratitude where you're just like praising the Lord of, of his goodness. Or maybe somebody goes into a spirit of prophecy and says, like, I just feel like the Lord is putting onto my heart right now that, you know, we need to move forward boldly in this area or something. Who knows? Yeah. And but to trust that he'll move in the way that he wills and that whatever he does, if we're open to it and if we're docile to whatever it is, it's exactly what we need in that moment. Yes. Well, you know, something's coming to mind, I think is very important to talk about when we talk about charismatic movement, because it can be so powerful and it evokes very, very real um, feelings. You know, your body can turn hot Mm -hmm. and you just feel the Holy Spirit like it's almost like a lightheadedness. Um, And then what happens when that goes away? Does that mean he's gone? No. Right? right? But no. do you see how sometimes I think that something we can get into is being so drawn to that chari- that charism, especially in praise and worship, and then when the music's gone or you're away from it, or even maybe you're with the music again and it doesn't, it no longer evokes a physical reaction from you, you think that the Holy Spirit's gone, but that's not true. No, absolutely not. And, you know, if you really get into these things... Um, to have manifestations of the spirit that are palpable, that's a real consolation yes. that the Holy Spirit has given you a significant consolation in prayer that as we, if you do any reading about the spiritual life, you know that we go through periods of consolation where the Lord gives these beautiful gifts, these, these assurances of his presence, the sweetness um, of the, the Lord, sweetness <laughs> of the Lord. And then we'll go through times of desolation because he doesn't want us to be dependent on those things in order for us to be with him in faith and trust and hope. So it's just the bait. <laughs> well, no, it's it's the encouragement. It's the sure. helping of building no, it up. Is. It's the enticement. But if you read, you know, St. John of the Cross, who is, the, you know, the master of talking about desolations and consolations. He says very specifically that consolations are not only meant to be enjoyed in the moment, but they are also meant to help us during times of desolation that we have a memory 
of those times of consolation that we can go back to and, and recall and understand. And this is one of the reasons I think that it's so powerful when we experience them in community, because sometimes when we're in desolation, it's very easy for us to forget that that was real. The time we experienced that consolation, the power of those moments, that they were real. And so when you go through a desolation and you're struggling to trust the memory of the consolation, that brother or sister in Christ who was there and experienced that consolation with you, who may not be in desolation at that point, can come to you and be your memory for you. That is a beautiful way that we build each other up as the body of Christ, that we can say, I know you're struggling right now, and I know God has maybe um, separated your palpable, you know, effective experience of his presence, but I'm going to come and be here for you and remind you, don't doubt it. It was real. I was right there beside you. I saw mm. your joy. I saw your the fire of the spirit within you, and I acknowledge that, and I'm going to hold that for you. While you can't see it because God's allowing a stripping away. Yeah. You know, I have another very similar, that one way better (laughs) than the one I'm about to tell you because mine is alone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember having moments where the Lord inspired me with having a great consolation. And he said, okay, make a memory take a memory snapshot and put it in your pocket mm-hmm. sure, <laughs> and bring yeah. it out later right. when you don't know or feel me whatsoever. Um, but at the same time, in those moments of desolation, he he is so delighted when it's simply the act of the will. Because he says to us at some point in our lives, maybe oftentimes, do you only love me for my good consolations? No, Father, I love you for you, regardless of your consolations. But yet you can still bring that memory out of your pocket. Right. Um, Even Mm -hmm. though you don't feel it, you know it because it's an act of the will. Absolutely. And it is a gift to you. It It is a gift. but Gratuitous gift. But another point that I want to make is, is that there are some gifts that the Lord gives just for the building up of our own personal spirituality, but the majority really of the charismatic gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are for the building of the church. They're not just for us and they are our power and our effectiveness as witnesses to the world. It is, we, I mean, there was a story of Pentecost is the quintessential example, right? Of living out the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles at Pentecost, and it is then that they have the power and the knowledge and the gifts to go forward that and fire. to evangelize the mm-hmm. world. I mean, it is from that place of the communal prayer with the openness to the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that then they are sent forth to do the work. And brothers and sisters, if you don't see the mission field before us right now, <laughs> then you are blind. <laughs> and that if you don't think that we need every gift and power from on high that we can get to evangelize this world, then you don't get the situation you're living we're under in, a rock. <laughs> right? But this is the this is the work we have been given as Christians. We are meant to go and make disciples of the whole world. And if, if we are struggling to see the fruit of that, the see the building of the church, to see more and more souls being one for Christ, that is not the failing of the Lord. 
That is not the paucity of the grace of the Holy Spirit. It is, however, our lack of openness and willingness to receive it. So we can't get sit around here any longer as Catholics and start being like, oh, my gosh, the church is in terrible shape. And how, talk about it too much. It's all going down, you know, yeah. the, the tubes and everything. What are you doing? Are you waiting for somebody else to take care of it? Are you waiting for, I don't know, some like divine intervention to get it done? We're the divine infer- intervention. Amen as conduits of grace that the Holy Spirit wants to give. And we have to put ourselves in the place to receive that grace. And that to me is what seeking to live out our lives as Catholics as charismatically as possible is. It's not some movement. It's not that it has to look a certain way. It's a disposition that says, Lord God, I want to be your witness in the world. And I know that I do not have the gifts to do it on my own, but you have gifts that you want to give and that you have created me in a specific way to be a particular witness in the world to your glory. And I need your help to do it. And I'm opening myself to do it. And I want to bring in my friends so that we can do it together so we can encourage each other and we can walk shoulder to shoulder right? <laughs> right. to do this work that we are not only asked to do, we are commanded to in obedience to God. Do you want to be an obedient Christian? Yes. Well, then what are we meant to do? Witness to the world. And we cannot do it alone. We need the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we need to find ways to seek that grace Mm. and open ourselves to that grace. But if you have factions within the Catholic church that tell you, oh, that's Protestant stuff. (laughs) That's not for Catholics. And I am going to say right now, I categorically deny the idea that you cannot be both traditional minded as a Catholic and charismatic. There's nothing more traditional than seeking the grace of the Holy spirit. When do we say the birthday of the Catholic church was Pentecost Pentecost? What defines Pentecost? The descent of the Holy spirit, the descent of the Holy spirit. What's more traditional than that? Mm. You know, Exactly. And we are a both well put, Megan. Well we are put. a both and faith. Yeah. You know, you know me. <laughs> I love reverent traditional worship, right? I don't I am not like let's go to mass and be slappy happy clappy. No, she she even <laughs> veils, folks. Oh yeah. Megan veils. <laughs> uh, you know, I am very traditional in aspects of my worship because to me the Bible has determined certain aspects of right worship as it relates to God and a reverence that is his due, that is very much um, manifested in a traditional way of living out this holy sacrifice of the mass. Mm. But that does not mean that I cannot enter into more care, more praise and worship that is in a different setting perhaps, but has efficacy and grace attached to it as well. So this putting each other, ourselves in boxes and saying, Oh, well, they're a charismatic Catholic or they're a traditionalist or they're, you know, that looks too Protestant to me. I'm like, I just, I want to throw it all out Mm. and say, whatever you want, Lord, whatever glorifies you, that's what I want to be involved in. 
Only you, Lord, only you. Yeah, and if if uh, what happens sometimes if you're experience no other aspect of communal worship other than mass, it is sometimes difficult to enter into a docility to the Holy Spirit in the moment, because the reality of is the way mass is set up because it is liturgical and, and very much defined by, you know, uh, the rubrics and everything. We don't have sort of as much freedom for spontaneous expressions of the Holy Spirit within the context of mass. That's okay. That's, that's not where the place for that particular thing is necessarily. We are all very ordered in mass towards the focus on giving glory to God for the gift of his son that is represented his sacrifice uh, on the altar. And so it's all towards God, towards him, right. but in a specific way. And then we receive him into us. And that's a very intimate, personal thing. And then our experience with the Lord, especially after we receive communion, it's like, you know, you're in the marriage bed, yeah, right? Sure. It's a very intimate place. Um, and so it's okay that we're maybe not all like just busting out in our own personal. Oh, I have to say though, during the Gloria, sometimes I do get really lost in it. And oh, I can just start swaying and yeah, like, don't beautiful. put your arms up, Pam. Because I'm feeling like, oh, because it's just so Maybe beautiful. you should, if that's what the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart. <laughs> but that doesn't well, have to be the only time and place that we enter into praise and worship of God. And, you know, to have this both and of reverent proscribed worship that the church has given us over the ages that, that echoes the prayers of the saints, mm. beautiful, awesome stuff. But the Lord is living and active. He's active in that in a particular way. And he he's active in other ways in more, you know, um, relaxed environments. And so we need to enter into the both and to give the opportunities for the Holy spirit to work in his fullness in our lives. And then we'll see the fruit of that, you know? Right. So charismatic in its nature and being Catholic, Megan, is really just a myriad of ways that we invite the Holy Spirit into our personal lives and then in our communal lives, starting with our families. Um, then again, in prayer groups, which Megan and I so strongly encourage because when you're walking shoulder to shoulder with people to love and serve the Lord together, it's got to be in community. Yeah, it's so just so there powerful. In so many ways. I mean, from the individual to the small group into mass, of course. Right. And, and it's just like, just look at our, our Lord, like how he set stuff up, right? He had a large group of disciples and then he had his 12 apostles and then he had his three, you know, closest ones. He shows us that it is in these different types of communities and ways of engaging each other that, that he works right. and we need to, you know, we need to be open to that and, and docile to that. And, and, you know, just the words right now for me that are coming to mind is, you know, just St. John Paul II and how he's so often, be not afraid, be not afraid. I think for a lot of maybe more um, conservative minded Catholics or just people who haven't been exposed too much to this idea of, 
docility to the Holy Spirit, openness to Holy Spirit moving in a moment, there's fear. There's like, I don't even, I'm scared about what that'll look like. I'm, I don't want to sound like an idiot. I don't want to, you know, like just feel like I'm pressured to say something if I don't feel comfortable or th- there's just so much fear around it that, that it just kind of closes people off and blocks them off. Like, you know, that I don't, I, I'm not good at spontaneous prayer. What does that even mean? I'm not good at spontaneous prayer. Like, it's not about being good at it. It's about being open to it because it's not about you. That's the point. The Lord's not asking you to be good at spontaneous prayer. All he's doing is asking you to be open to the prayer he wants to put into you. As it says in Romans, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes uh, for us with inexpressible groanings. Mm. We don't have to worry about it. Or Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will provide it to you. You're worried about your witness? Mm -hmm. Well, The Lord is saying, you don't need to have a master's in theology to have this conversation. All you need to do is have a heart that's open to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So when we have these things in the Bible that tell us again and again and again, it's through the Holy Spirit that you're going to be a witness to the world. It's through the Holy Spirit that you're going to convert hearts. It's my work. I'm just inviting you to participate in it and open yourself up to the work that I want to do in you and through you. That's right. And that's what Mary was. I mean, she's the perfect example. Mary, she is the most charismatic human being who ever walked the face of the earth. She is the, the spouse. spouse. <laughs> exactly. She's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. So, you know, I think we're kind of coming up to the end of our time on this topic. But what I wanted to say then is maybe if you're struggling in this area where you're just like, this just sounds like crazy talk to me. I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't even know. Or you you're feel drawn to it, but you don't even know where to start. I would mm-hmm. say, go to mama, <laughs> go to mama Amen. and say, mom, you know, you know, better than anyone else, what it is to be overshadowed by the Holy spirit. And you know what it is to teach, to be like Jesus. You know what it is to form Christ in your womb. So I'm asking you, dear mother, intercede for me. Show me how I can open myself up to the Holy spirit Open your heart to the desire for the spirit and ask Mary to send forth the spirit upon you and say, I want to be overshadowed, Mm. overshadow me, overshadow me, inflame me, dwell in me, work in me, flow through me. Let me be God poured forth to the world because that's who we're called to be. And it's the only way we're ever going to do the work that we're called to as Christians in this world and to build the kingdom of Christ right here, right now. Mm. So true. Amen. Amen. So Mary, you know, pray Come for to our us. aid. Come to our aid. St. Joseph, pray for us. And you know what it says in the Memorari, right? Never was it that anyone who sought your intercession or implored thy help would go left unaided. Mm-hmm. So if you want it, if you really want it, And you go to Mary and you ask for it and you give the Lord your heart, your docility, your desire. It's going to happen. He's going to move in you and he's going to work through you and he's going to do things that maybe you don't even imagine are possible. You will not go on it. Amen to that. It's our faith. That is our faith. Mm -hmm. That is the traditional faith 
of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Let us proclaim God's word with our in our bodies through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're so happy that you joined us today and, and we hope that it's blessed you. And if it has, please do share it. And until next time, God bless. God bless. <laughs>